Happy Jack's RPG Podcast, a roundtable discussion that's a mix of friendship, humor, unbridled enthusiasm, and tabletop RPG topics sent in from around the world. Just for so my goodness, it's again. Hello. <laughs> It <laughs> <laughs> sounds like I was trashing the show and not my presence. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> All right. Uh, welcome to Season 31, Episode 6 of the Happy Jacks RPG Podcast. My name is Kimmy. I'm Riley. And I'm Bill. Anybody go. Just Anybody. I'm not here all the time. I know, it's okay. Thing. It's hard to remember. Thing. I know. We hit it on beats. It was yeah. like, there was the same pause. It was, a, it was yeah. all good. I'll yeah. add some sort of... Like, some gravitas to tonight's yeah. episode. I'm Riley. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> all right. In today's episode, Richard asks if mechanics and crunch can actually help new players. Adam from California, which is not the same as our Adam, who's in the studio. Different Adam from California. Uh, has advice you about... You know how we know it's not our items because it showed up for the show tonight. Yeah, exactly. Oh, damn! That's the one thing so that I will much. never resent, never let go. Uh, writes in with advice about running the One Ring, which is great. Thank you for that. Um, and Virk wonders if he has done his players a disservice as a GM. So if you'd like to contribute a question or topic to the show, you can email us at happyjacksrpg at gmail.com. That's happyjacksrpg at gmail.com. And thank you, everyone who's been writing emails. We can always use more, but it's no longer a dire situation. So I appreciate all of you. Uh, announcements. Uh, we have two new actual plays. One had their first session today. They did session zero character creation a while back, and today was their first actual like play session, so session one, and that was Heaven on High, which is our City of Mist game that's playing at 2 p.m. Pacific time on Fridays, because wow. people from all over the place, and so it's very exciting there, and they, they're just amazing. And so. East Coast viewers have no excuse now. Yeah. It's not that it's on too late for you. Yeah. <laughs> Five o'clock. Boom. Yeah. And uh, they were really awesome. Let's turn the commute. I, yeah. There's oh. no commute. There's no commute. No, it's fine. There's no commuting in baseball. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I was really impressed. Lloyd did an incredible job GMing. I, I knew that, that he would. And all the players are just great. So please check that out either live on Twitch or you can check it out later on YouTube and uh, as a podcast. And then on Monday, which is very soon... I am starting my One Ring campaign. <laughs> that is the voice of the GM who's like, how many hours are left before the first session? Uh, yeah, I have, I, have, I have some crunching to do because it's a, it's a crunchy system, um, but I'm excited. And we did session zero character creation um, a, a bit ago last week, and it was amazing. And I'm so excited about the players and the characters and the world. And it, it's, it's going to be wild. The Which one is Sauron? Oh, the the one that is very boring for like most of it, and then suddenly like, the fuck? Yeah, sorry, that was a that was a rings of power swipe. Anyway, so those two things are happening, so it's very exciting. So check that out, and I think that's everything for updates right now. And oh, if you are a Patreon, please go and fill out the little form that I posted again, so that you can be listed in our thanks credits at the end of the shows. Um, many of you have not been doing that, so there's like a whole lot more Patreons than get thanked. 
but we thank you anyway, even if your name's not listed. But do that. It's on the Patreon thing. Go just check it out. All right. Now, very exciting. It's the first show of December, which means we get to have a new Indie Designer of the Month. So um, our Indie Designer for December is someone I have loved and Twitter stalked for a really long time. And they're very kind to me when they're like, oh, I will reply to you because I'm like a fan. I fangirl a lot on them. So Nura Rose is the owner of Monkey Paws Games, and she's a black, queer, trans, neurodivergent designer. And in her words, she's the quadrifecta. <laughs> um, and you can find her work at monkeyspawgames.com, along with an amazing collection of indie games by other designers that she's like curated and sells. That's cool. Yeah, she has like a whole like setup there, which is amazing. I've bought games there. Um, a lot of really like niche indie stuff that's hard to find other places. Um, and the game we're gonna design, uh, and the game we're gonna feature this week, each week of the month, we're gonna design, we're gonna feature another game specifically designed by her, is Cannibo, which is a fully self-contained rules alternative for the D100 Hammer system. That is John Geary's Sledgehammer, and then Christina Sound Bush, which was our indie designer of last month's uh, Bright Hammer. Um, this is like the most fun thing about finding indie designers. Like I just go down the rabbit hole of like, here's one designer I love. Oh. Oh, and they're friends with this designer. Oh, and they're friends with this designer. So I just get to like. That's part. like me on Mastodon right now, where I find a person <laughs> and I because it's so hard to find people's instances mm -hmm. that I just find my friends and then I see who they're following. Yeah. And I look for names I recognize or people that seem cool. Yeah. And that's how I like. I've definitely stalked your following list. And totally. Stuff like that, so I did that the same with yours. So. Yeah. Okay. Uh, anyway, so Cannibo is written by Nura. And with cultural consulting by James Mendez Hodas. And it's a take on a post-warring states feudal Japan. Um, and it's a TTRPG, but specifically the Japan depicted in movies, not like the historical one. So it's like 47 Ronin and Seven Samurai. Samurai. It like makes no attempt to be like historically accurate, but it's gritty, cinematic, and really stylized, which is amazing. Um, players wander through a post-warring states Japan looking for work, food and purpose, and it really strongly emphasizes resource management, exploration, and the consequences of violence. So uh, if somebody dies, it's probably going to be a player. And Ooh. unlike comparable samurai TTRPGs, which we will not name, not once is a Japanese word used in place of an English one, and there's not a single instance of the word honor anywhere in the system. <laughs> <laughs> and there are two versions of the game. There's basic kind of bow, which is um, like much more simplified and improvisation focused. And then the newly released Expert Rules uh, is part one of what will be a three additional big supplements and wow. it gets like much deeper. Um, and that will be the game that our Patreons are getting for free this month. So check that out very soon. We'll be having a download link in the Patreon. So if you want to get in on that amazing indie RPG action, you can also join our Patreons at happyjacks.org slash Patreon. And then to find her games and to, if you cannot wait and you want to buy it right now, you can go to monkeyspawgames.com and get her amazing stuff and learn more about her. I'm so excited. I, I feel like that was so a good segue into the next letter, too. Like is the, it? The idea of having, like, a basic rules and expert rules and then you have this next letter. <laughs> I planned it that way. I know you did. That's why you totally. went, is it, when I asked you a question? Yeah. <laughs> very, wait, what? I'm very smooth. Yeah. I'm super smooth. Yeah. I, I always, I've always said that about you. Yes. Seamless and always. All right. They're all shaking their heads for podcast listeners. But yeah, I whispered. I've never said that once about her. I'm not sure. <laughs> and then we shake our heads left and right. Yeah. I feel like an alt text now. Yeah, it's yeah like... that's exactly what it is. Yeah. <laughs>
All right. Uh, I just did a whole bunch of talking, so somebody else should read this email. All right. I'm ready to go. This the this first letter sounds like the beginning of Great Gatsby. Like the I've been some advice. I'm turning over my head ever since. Let me. I, I don't think I can do a good Nick impression, but I will. I will try to yeah. just read this email like a human being. I had a thought today, and remember that you always say that you need more email. Now I'm getting it in an accent. I did not mean wow, to Wow, that's it's. And though I'm generally a recluse who only looks in social places, I thought I'd give this talking to people a go. Yay! I was listening to season three, episode two, so I was not on that episode. No. Uh, where y'all were it's discussing season, season thirty-one. All right, season three. Season thirty-one, episode <laughs> two. Uh, also, I think where y'all falls out of my British accent that I'm doing. Where y'all were discussing uh, how you didn't like the direction that designers took. Out Avatar Legends. I know you said then that you want to take some time to more thoroughly understand the rules and form more informed opinions, but I have heard from several sources that they have added a lot of additional systems and mechanics to Power by the Apocalypse, and it brought to mind the contention that I have heard that the reason D&D is good for new players is that the increased number of rules give guide rails for newer players, highlighting the things that they can do rather than just saying that they can do anything. My question for you then is this. Do you think it is better to have more mechanics, more crunch to help new players solid options, help give new players solid options, and do you have any stories of newer players freezing up from decision paralysis when it comes to their turn, or alternatively looking at their character sheet, seeking a skill or ability, and having that result in a great role-playing moment? Thanks for the show. It's always informative and entertaining. Sincerely, Richard. P.S. Drink. Huzzah! Mm. <laughs> PPS, I uh, used Dekuma for my last campaign and we all loved it. Can we just hear that? Richard loves Dekuma. What's Dekuma? Uh, and I am just saying this for no reason. There's no connection between this podcast and that game. None. Not at all. Not at all, Richard. Not at all. And for the, the podcast center, I'm pointing to both my eyes and then right at the camera. Um, my answer to this question is, first of all, because I was on the episode we talked about good setting, disappointing rules, mm -hmm. and then vice versa. And, and Avatar Legends came up in that conversation, which is why I thought it was the one that I had. That was the episode where I made fun of Jameson's game right to his face without realizing I it. I love that episode. Um, <laughs> I think that this debate about crunch being good or bad for new players is such a your miles may vary conversation. I don't think there is, a, I think it's not a one size fits all conversation. Mm -hmm. I do think that like, yes, part of why D&D is good for new players is because people who do need guide rails, it's there for it. But I also think D&D is good for new players because most people know how to play D&D. Mm -hmm. They're going to play role-playing games, and so you have a lot of people who can help you learn the game. It's kind of like poker being a card game everybody knows how to play because mm -hmm. everybody knows someone can teach them card games. I'm like, there's, there's so much material available for D&D that if you get lost, there's a lot of guides to do it. Um, but yeah, I, I have found... As someone who's... I've always played in pretty rules-heavy games from starting out. I started out in World of Darkness, which was a pretty rules-heavy yeah. system. And I will say that back when I was a teenager, the game whose setting I loved the most, but whose system I frust got frustrated with, was Mage the Ascension. Because Mage, at the time, especially their magic system, was so like, I don't know, figure out what fate does in this situation. Yeah. You're like, I don't know. So, like... I think that there is definitely something to be said about like someone going, here's the list of spells that exist and you can do them and that's it. Um, so, but I, I think PBTA can be very intimidating to new, some new players. Yeah. Whereas other new players will take to it like a fish to water if, if their goal is to come in and just tell improvised you know, stories 
with just a little bit of randomization to them. And so, yeah, I think it all depends on what people are looking for when they come in. Um, so yeah. that's my answer to that question. Yeah, some Richard. stuff to take under account is, um, like, what do they do right now? Like, if they are, like, a theater person, an improv actor, like, PBTA might be a better way to go with a little bit less. They're, you know, they're used to coming up with stuff. They're used to, like, being put on the spot and thinking of things. Um, if they're a video game player and they're used to talent trees and these are my spells that I have and these are, like, very specific prescribed abilities, then, yeah, D&D or something in that vein might be something that they are more familiar with and feel more comfortable doing. So I think, like, there's definitely something to be said for... And most of us, like, as much as we all love, like, you know, narrative and blah, 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 whatever term you want to use for them games now, most of us started with D&D. I started with D&D. Yeah. So it's, like, it's hard for us now to, like, go back to that place. And, and I don't know if I would have been as... Uh, I, I don't know how I would have reacted if PBT had been the first thing that somebody had thrown at me. Even yeah. even with all my years of doing Ren Fair and improv and stuff like that... I think I still would have been like, I'm not exactly sure what to do. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't I don't know. <laughs> I feel like kids might do really well with that. Like, because they're still in that place where, like, pretend is real in a lot of ways. I mean, depending on kids. But I, I think I think there is definitely something to be said for having. I, I don't know. I feel like I, I, I'm, I'm torn because I can, like, make the case either way. Yeah. PBTA feels to me... It's 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 such a paradoxical thing because it is a much more rules light system, but it also almost requires you to already understand the nuances of role playing games before yes. you get into the rule. Like because you're kind of like you're filling in the gaps yourself of what the system's not doing. Mm -hmm. And like I said, I didn't start with D and D. I started with World Darkness, which is very similar. Yeah. In, in the '90s, that was like the big game to play. Yeah. And I didn't like D and D because there was no role playing amongst the D and D players I yes. knew. Everyone who played D and D that I knew, I'm not saying everybody had the situation, but in the 90s, like, you know, third edition, 3.5, moving on from there, it was all very video game. It was always very yeah. just crunch, and it was just grinding through dungeons and whatever. And it was it was always the debate of role players with, with two L's or L-E. Yeah. You know, and I was a role player role playing, and yeah. there was role playing with dice. And it wasn't really until 5e that I felt like there was a space for me in D&D. And now I love D&D. But like I'm, I'm one of the few people who still is very like I know everyone is like turning on D and D, but like despite a lot of the very known flaws, I still love D and D because yeah. I've been able to find so many fun ways to tell stories with it. Yeah. But it's interesting. Yeah. There's a lot of um, women I know who join the hobby because of the World of Darkness games. Like that was something that, especially like in the '90s, was like very something that brought in a huge number of non-men into the yeah. hobby because it was just a whole new thing that appealed to them in a different way. And I think it was something they could engage with that didn't already have, um, like, these decades of, like, grognard tradition or, like, yeah. people who've been, like, this is how we do it. So I think it was able to be a, 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 an avenue for a whole new type of player to the, to the, to the community. I think you're right because I think, and I, I will let Bill talk at some point, but yeah. uh, I, I think you're right because... I know that what got me into playing D&D was a lot of the really fun, like, actual plays that I was watching where mm -hmm. people were having a lot of goofs and playing around and having a fun... And it became much more of, like, oh, this is, like, just a way to, like, hang out with your friends and, mm -hmm. and make jokes and stuff like that. And, you know, and I was like, wow, you can do a lot with D&D that I didn't think you could do. Yeah. And 
it was how I had always played World of Darkness, whereas mm-hmm. everyone I knew who played D&D was, like, super intense about it. And, yeah. like, you know. <laughs> I mean, I played D&D. That's my... I'm old enough to where, uh, you know, there was, like, I don't know, four role-playing games and dice were carved out of stones. Yeah. Uh, but... I mean, uh, they still do that. They just charge more. For I know. Yeah. Now they're, like, super expensive. <laughs> uh, back then, we just went out, and, you know, in the... In the quarry and did our own. Uh, but, I mean, uh, so, you know, I was playing second edition, and, like, literally it was like that. Uh, I think Ardwin was available, uh, then uh, Traveler, and there's probably a couple other things. But, you know, I grew up playing D&D, and, you know, a bunch of 12-year-olds sitting around, and the thing that was really helpful is going back and looking at it, it's like, oh, my God, all these tables, and, like, everything yeah. that's there, is that you you didn't have to try to figure out what to do, mm-hmm. even as kind of messy and, you know, now looking on it, not well organized as it was, you could go and find that, oh, okay, here's the thing you do. Oh, here's the number you yeah. have to roll, right? So that actually, those guardrails and guidelines, like, really help. And then once you get a level of mastery over that, then you realize you can start expressing yourself. And I think that tends to come with people coming in and saying, oh, can I, can I do this? It's always a question. They start by going, I can do these things. And you learn to do those things. And you're like, oh, well, can I do this? And hopefully you have a, a GM or a DM that's saying like, you, like, yeah, yeah, we'll figure out how to do that. And by the way, don't ask me. Mm-hmm. Just tell me what you want to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, we'll figure out. And then like, that's how that's, easy you run as a GM. Yeah, and like, that's the next step as a, as a player that you get to. You're like, oh, I'm just going to say what I want to do. I found that this morning, even as long as I've been playing, uh, I was playing a D&D game, and I had this idea of what I want to do with my character, and I started asking the DM. I was like, so if I want to just go, okay, wait, 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 wait. Here's what I want to do. And mm-hmm. I just realized, like, I didn't stop myself. Like, why am I asking if I can do it? I'm just going to say this is what I want to do, and then we'll figure out, not whether it's potentially even possible, like, how hard it is. And I think that the thing that is beneficial about having a, a crunchier system Yeah. And there's obviously way more crunchy systems than D&D, right? I've played my fair share of GURPS yeah. and and champions. And, you know, there's a lot of, like, way more numbers in tense yeah. games. Yeah, um, is that once you're playing, once you have a mastery over that mechanical aspect of the system and you're playing with a, a DM that has that, you start saying, this is what I want to do. This is what I'm going to do. And then you can figure out the way to do that, right? Now... I have to admit, as a game designer, then I like that aspect of it. Like, ooh, how do I figure out within the context of the rules? How do I move this, like, three-dimensional cube around? Like, ah, there's the solution. That's how we're going to do that. Yeah. Um, And I gain a level of satisfaction from that. I think, and it's interesting, you brought up a great point, Kimmy. Like, what would it have been like if if when I was 12... I was starting with PBTA. Yeah. Right? If, like, Masks was the first thing I was playing or something, right? Like, what would that... How would that have changed my mindset? Um, I mean, I do tons of role-playing. I, the the mechanics... And Elspeth says this all the time. I play a ton of systems with her. Uh, and she'll say, like... She's like, I don't really... I don't really care about the rules. Like, I'm about the characters and the story arc. Mm-hmm. And if I get to a point I want to do something, if I'm GMing, she's like, oh, you're just going to tell me what I need to roll. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like... Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect, right? Because um, that's what it should be about. But it's interesting. I think I I have a very different approach to role-playing and storytelling because I grew up in very crunchy systems. And so I kind of had to learn, you know, this. It was easier to get into because it wasn't like, what do I do? I don't know. Because I didn't have the tools to role-play. 
as well as probably you, you you would want to or potentially need to to get like the most out of, for example, a Powered by the Apocalypse game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but a lot of that was because it was a bunch of kids sitting around like, oh, we're all going to play. Yeah. So no one was there to guide us mm-hmm. to say like, oh, no, do what you don't ask. Like, you know, just tell me and we'll figure out. Like, no, there was no guiding hand for that. So I actually think in that way it was really good to come up with that kind of like mechanics heavy guardrails to go on to until my role-playing ability matured. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree. yeah I think it's, and I think also a thing you said that really sticks out to me is about that aspect of, oh, I stopped asking if I can do things and just started saying what I did and my DM would say, okay, roll and I'll tell you what happens. Because I think that's really the most important thing to entry level for players is a, yeah. a DM who is prepared, or GM, depending on the system you're playing, or whatever system, yeah. Yeah. Uh, is a game master or game whatever who is actively listening people to struggle and know what to do to adjust to it. Because I think that's going to be what makes or breaks it. I think that someone who is like really set in their ways and can't adapt to the things that a new player is going to deal with is a problem. And I, I've literally, I've been snapped at by a GM before for going, okay, I'm going to do this now. And then wanting to roll for it. And I remember having a, a guy being like, don't tell me what you're going to do. You ask me if you can roll for something and then I'll tell you. If, and like, and it was such a uh, weird thing. I was like, I don't like playing this way. And yeah, like, this is weird. Right. Cause like, I was like, yeah, you can tell me if it succeeds or fails, but I'm, I'm still going to try it. Cause that's what my character is going to do. Mm-hmm. And that's always like a frustrating thing. And I think that can be maybe what makes or breaks. I think like being in a system, especially when you're learning a new system, if you're looking to your GM for guidance and not feeling like you're getting it, that can be a thing that makes you feel frustrated and spinning your wheels. Um, like I even, like I, you know, I had never played kids on brooms or kids on bikes until we played for Hexbreakers, and I had played kids on bikes like the weekend before we started playing Hexbreakers. <laughs> so I had to do it for two different things, mm. and I remember like really having a hard time with the system at first because. A lot of it is just like, what's in your backpack? And I'm like, what does that mean? Yeah. Like, what does it mean, what's in your backpack? Like, that kind of thing. And so many times when we were sitting at the table here, and it's like, well, I want to do this thing. Okay, well, what spell do you think that would be for? And I'm like, like what what magic school would you use to cast that spell? Yeah. And I'm like, why isn't it telling me that information? Like, that way I know what my character would have studied and what she would have learned. Yeah. And, and there is a freedom to that. There mm-hmm. is a freedom to being able to go, oh, well, you know, she would use charm magic for this, even though somebody else might use fight magic for this or yeah. something like that. So there is a freedom to that. But I had another random thought about PBTA, which is the one thing I will say about it as a good entry for new players is the barrier to entry for PBTA is way, way less. Yeah. Because yeah. literally, if you absolutely have to, you can open up a board game in your house and grab the dice from the board game and now you all the dice you need to play that game. Yeah. Whereas mm-hmm. any other, like most other, not any other, any non-D6 system, you have to buy special dice just to play your game. Yeah. Whereas with PBTA games, you can just go on the internet, look up some rules, grab two dice, and you're ready. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, like, this is literally all you need to play PBTA games. Even that, you can use a roller. But then again, yeah. that mm-hmm. negates my original. Never mind. <laughs> um, I want to come at what you are saying a second ago about uh, Hexbreakers, because I had that, that sort of similar experience. Um, and I'd played Kids on Brooms before, and Spencer's friend of the show and super fun. Um, but I like I kept, and I don't know if it was because it was an AP. I don't know if I would have felt this way at the table. But even with like as much as I love rules like games and like creative games, like I sometimes felt like I was cheating. Yeah. When it was like, okay, what would you use? 
well, I would use the one I'm good at. Like, like you're, and you're sitting there and you're like, is this wrong? Like, yeah. I, I feel like I, I mean, I can, you know, I'm the, I'm the gifted kid who got questions wrong because I could like legitimize multiple, like I could like, oh, this makes sense. And if I think about it this way, this makes sense. And so you always like validate all the wrong answers and so you miss them. But so I could sit there and like argue with myself about which school of magic was best and I'd be like, well, I feel like if I'm arguing for the one that I'm good at, I'm cheating. Yeah, I know that feeling exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm like, I don't know if I would have felt that if it wasn't an AP. Um, I don't remember feeling that when the last time I played wasn't an AP, but I also, like, I don't remember super a lot of it. So there's that vibe, too, where it's if it's not super prescribed, am I, like, inadvertently being a narrative min-maxer? Like, it's like this... Ooh, that's a good term. <laughs> I love that. I feel that... I, I mean, I've only played... Uh, a, maybe two or three one shots mm-hmm. in PBTA. And it and it's done two things. One, it's maybe like, oh, I really want to play in a longer form with this and like explore a character and and opening up new parts of, you know, of, of books and things like that, right? Uh-huh. Um, but I had the exact same thing. Where I was like, oh, how do I do that? I'm like, oh, well, what am I really good at? What's my best role, <laughs> right? Okay, how would I justify using that to achieve thing? Okay, that's the way we do it. And... And there's a part of me that recognizes that's kind of the system, mm-hmm. right? But the two things um, that that gave me pause about it, one is exactly what you said. I'm like, oh, am I just am I just min maxing because I'm a good <laughs> I could be a good storyteller and talk my way through this? <laughs> and like, sure, I should get the plus two, not the negative one. Uh-huh. But the other thing is, um, for better or worse, to me, it also felt like it put the onus on the player to make a choice to explore not being able to do something good as their character, mm-hmm. right? Um, so you have to have, I think, a lot of times, like a pretty mature role player, someone who's like, oh, you know, I'm going to do a thing that like I know I'm not good at or I know I'm probably going to fail at because I think it'd be good for the story. Mm-hmm. That's that's a certain level of someone who's got a lot of experience role playing yeah. and, is, and sees how that actually positively can drive a full story along. I think a lot of people would be like, oh, yeah, how do I, oh, I, I think I can get a plus one or plus two like all, all the time because I'll just like always lean into these things. Yeah. Um, and I think that has the potential to do the the overall story that you're all building together kind of a disservice, yeah. um, which is what I like about systems where it's like, you know, as however you want to think about it, but if I'm playing a system that has, you know, specific roles and skills, and they're like, oh, okay, everybody make a, Dexterity saving roll. They're not like all, hey, the building's toppling. What do you do to get out of it? And mm-hmm. I kind of choose. Yeah. Right? It's like all, oh, no, this is a thing where, like, you have to be nimble to get out of the way. Boy, too bad I'm a big, slow, clunky doof. Okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yep, I get yeah. crushed by a brick or something, right? Like, I, yeah. I, I like the fact that, that you can do that because I think also for the mature role player in those systems, you always have the opportunity, I, I think, at least – to just choose to not succeed. Yes. That happened in, in our game this morning. One of the players, the other player was at the table, was like, I don't want to win this competition. It was down to me and him at the end. And he's like, I don't want to win because if I do, then I'm going to get way too much notice about me. And mm-hmm. I think some people are eyeballing me. So he like speaks into my head and he's like, look, I know competition is a really big thing for you. And I'm telling you, I'm going to throw this mm-hmm. because like what she knew was a big risk. Cause that could really piss me off. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So I basically was like, didn't say anything, went and just did like a ridiculous attack. We're like, oh, okay, well then, you know, I get, you know, I can always choose to do non-lethal damage, 
But, you know, you don't throw it if I actually knock you unconscious, right? What kind of idea? <laughs> but it was great. I didn't, but there was a an element where you could get knocked off of a thing or knocked out of the ring, right? Yeah. And so he had to make a deck saving throw to not have that happen. He's like, oh, I just fail it. Yeah. And the great thing is, our GM said, it's like, great, make a performance check. Yeah. Yeah. Like, did you sell it? Right? Yeah, because it's like, I want to do a thing. Like, I want my character to do this, but it's like, okay, well, now that's what he's trying to do. Right. So he's like, so I'm going to fail check yeah. and see how well you fail. Right. Yeah. Like, I'm going to fail this. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to make my my dex check or I'm going to fall out. He's like, okay, make a performance check. Like, mm -hmm. do, is everyone going to believe that that happened? Or are they going to be like, hey, did that guy just throw that? Yeah. yeah it's yeah. like, oh my God, what a great new thing. There's a whole storyline. Right. There's, yeah. That could be a whole new storyline. But again, based on like now, uh, you know, you had a lot of agency in that, but there's still going to be some random potential element to it, yeah. right? That, I think, you, you know, so sorry. I, I, I'm sorry, I want to say like, because if you were bad, and I'll shut up, if you were, if you were, <laughs> if you were trying to do that and then you weren't a good actor, yeah, but people would be like, oh, why did that guy just yeah, throw that throw whole fight? What's going on? Yeah. Right, regardless of what you want to do. Yeah. yeah. I do. I, oh, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, I think, like, regarding PBTA specifically, because we keep bringing it up. Um, I think reference to the article. Well, no, for sure. Yeah. But I think one of the things we need to kind of specify, too, is, like, we say, we talk about PBTA like it's a monolith, but there are so many different hacks of it, and some are so well done, and some are not well done. So I think, like, it's it's easy when you're talking about, okay, D&D, &D, or The One Ring, or Mongoose Traveler, like, these are things, like standalone mm -hmm. things that have a set set of rules. PBTA, you've got to talk a little bit more specific, because, like, masks is something that, like, the playbooks are designed to push people in the in, to do things they're not good at or to react like a teenager when they, you know, and lose their cool and things like that. So it, it, it introduces, even if you're not a, a super seasoned role player, like, it, it, it has a very clear path for you to have complicated, fun stories without you having to choose always to fail. It's fun if you choose to fail, but you don't have to. It, like, it, 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 hold your hand down that path. Well, there's a lot of PBTA games that don't, where it's very easy to, you know, just be like the the narrative min-maxer and always do the thing you're always good at. Yeah. So, um, I, I, and I think kind of, I just wanted to point that out mm. because I think that's something that's important because um, I think that there are some PBTA games that might be good, especially if someone's like super into like Teen Titans or something. Mm -hmm. Like the cool thing about introducing players with PBTA is you can find a flavor that they are very, very familiar with and like know a lot about. So it feels very, very comfortable for them. And so like as they're jumping in, they know the vibe of the game, even if they're not sure of the rules. So that is like, again... I don't. I don't think there's a right answer to this question, but no. like I was arguing for rules earlier, so now I'm gonna like argue for like more rules light systems. Um, I don't know, yeah. tally marks in the like pros and cons lists, like how you make life choices. Sorry, right, what were you gonna say? Well, I was to what you just said about rules versus rules light. Mm -hmm. I think it goes back to what I said before about having a GM who is passionate about teaching new players games, because I think that no matter how crunchy a system is a good GM can make it less crunchy yeah. in order to introduce new players to things. Like, that's what I always try to do when I'm running a game, even with D&D, when I'm running a game for new people, I treat the first several levels, especially, as very fluid. Like, I also, I have always given players the ability, if we start at level one, when we get to level three, I go, okay, what are some stats you are not glad you took? Let's remake <laughs> those character sheets. Let's make a character sheet nice. you were happy with. I do that kind of stuff. And, yeah, I also, like, even, like mentioning all the charts in D&D &D tell you how to do stuff, but 
one of the gags about D&D is how many rules nobody uses in yeah. D&D. Like, yeah. I've never played a D&D game where we actually used encumbrance. Like, we just don't do it. It's like, it's like the first thing I do in Skyrim is find ways to make things lighter to carry. Yeah. Like, right. you, know, you know, the first the first hack I got when they let you mod Skyrim was the infinite carry hack, yeah. you know? Because it's like, and I, again, yeah. but if you are, but if you want to play like Icewind Dale or something where that actually mm -hmm. comes into play, yeah. suddenly like, okay, we've made the choice to lean into this. And the thing I'll say about that point you made about PBTA is perfect about how it really depends on which PBTA version you're using. Because yeah. let's say let's say I really like stories about monsters. Monster of the Week is a very different game than Monster yeah. Hearts. Yes. And you better know which one you're getting into <laughs> when you get it. And I would say like that's also a good example too, because certain PBTA games are really great at the very specific thing they're trying to do. Yeah. And if you want to play a game that goes outside of those parameters, you will have a miserable time. Yeah. Like we tried to play, I did a, um, my friend has a, a romance podcast that's all about like romance movies and rom-coms. And for the anniversary, we played Warmer in Winter, which is a PBTA game that is designed to be like a cozy Hallmark movie style romance I've kind of I've seen that one. Okay, yeah. And it's very cute and very fun. Yeah. And I was playing with, like three people who never, two people who had never played a role playing game before, mm -hmm. and one myself and another person, and no one really understood how to play it, and so everyone was playing it like you would play a board game where everyone oh. just took their turn, and now it's your turn, and now it's your oh. turn, and now it's your. We played the entire game like we were in, in initiative order, <laughs> which meant that we kept like, okay, now you make a move, mm -hmm. and now you, and you tug on their heartstrings and stuff like that, and like. And like we quickly moved out of the realm of trying to flirt with each other, and like there was like a whole thing about Bigfoot and stuff like that, and like none of that <laughs> works in that system. And right. again, if all you want to play is like a cozy, cute rom com kind of story, it's great. If you want to play anything that goes outside of that, you're trying to <laughs> save the town, right? You're stuck. And so I think that's a really good, really good point you made about PBTA. A yeah. busy businesswoman comes back to the hometown she grew that's up in. That's what I play. And meets a cryptozoological oh, no, no. Bigfoot. I actually, sorry, I played, I played a woman, I played like the older, uh, she and her husband had moved back to the town. Her husband passed away and now she was gay. Uh, that was love, my, yeah. Great. Oh my God. I love these movies. Like I hate them, but I like, we, I hate, watch them every season, like a ridiculous amount. Right. Oh my God. And they're all the same. And I love that I can just like sort of zone out and still know exactly what's happening. And Sam and I will watch them together and we'll like make bets as we go, like for what's going to happen. Yeah. There's a, I, and I can't remember it, and maybe someone who's in the chat will, will tell us, or one of you will remember, <laughs> but there was, like, some Netflix films started coming out where they started building, like, a rom-com universe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, like, the same yeah, the characters. Prince, the princess the prince, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. and I was like, oh, my God, that's the genius. Prince, the prince one. Yeah. yeah. Which, oh, I was going to say, by the way, this, before I forget, maybe one another topic... I wanted to, because I was going to reply to you, and then Kimmy talked, and we got I got distracted because my brain works that way. Yeah, same. Your point about being okay with failure and like learning to like do things you're not good at, I think that's like a really good thing to learn. And I think like there are some systems where even if you're not like a first time player, but you're a new player, I think like for example. I think one of the best games that I ever played that taught me that lesson was Ten Candles. Yeah. Mm. Because Ten Candles opens with everyone in the story is going to die. Yeah. There is no way to win this game. Yeah. This game is doomed from the beginning. What are you going to do with the time you have knowing that information? Mm -hmm. And I think that, like, maybe giving players game like, – like, if you're trying to get somebody into TTRPGs – 
and they have an open mind. It might be worth being like, okay, well, we're going to play this. We're also going to play this. Like, mm -hmm. let's find works for you. But I think that, like, as far as like, if you're trying mm -hmm. to level up as a player, right. I think, like, looking for, for games that kind of force you to do things you're less comfortable with but you want to be comfortable with is a really good way to do that. And, and to tag into that, so it's to mix the, like, really crunchy with encouraging role play and, like, even rewarding failure. So yeah. the RuneQuest games which are super crunchy. Yeah. Everything is percentilized and everything. However, at the end of each session, right, you get to roll against whether you've, you get to roll to see if you increase your, your skill. Yeah. Right. And you get to roll whether you succeed or whether you failed. Yeah. Right. So failing still gives you a benefit. Right. And if you like critically fail, you get like two rolls it actually weights it really nicely in that way yeah. and the thing i liked about that i had a chance to play some of this right before the pandemic um in a, in a campaign was which i thought was really cool is that if you're not good at something it's much easier to get better at it because you have to roll percentile dice above the per how well you know it so if i only know something at a 13 percent 14 or higher i'm i'm gaining points i'm getting skill points so the more higher expertise you actually have at it the harder it is for you to learn something more. Yeah. So it encourages you mechanically to try stuff you're not very good at, mm -hmm. that you'll probably fail because it's the only way you get better. That's the other thing I liked about a couple of the PPTA games I played. And I realized I've actually run a campaign because I forgot Monster <laughs> of the Week yeah. was PPTA and I ran one of those uh, like a couple of years ago. Yeah, for you 12 did. 12 or 13 sessions, yeah. right? just a home game. But is that it also, in many of the... Uh, I don't know what the actual thing is like the like the post action reports or your you know or even your playbooks. It'll say, "Did you fail at a thing?" Yeah. Right. Or and where failure nets well, you experience points. Right. You yeah. Learn... Like in Monster League, you get experience right. points for failing. So right. The game most of those. You... Yeah. Most yeah. of those do that. Right. Oh, you failed. Okay. Make sure you're taking a, a yeah. point because then it's like, oh, failing isn't always bad. Yeah. There's a mechanical positive to reinforce that, yeah. and I think that's a thing that. As GMs, we need to do is always make sure that if somebody tries wants to try something, wants to do something, let them do it. Figure out how to make that happen, and then if it if it doesn't work, like don't make it just an absolute negative. Have yeah. or, be... or worse, nothing happen. Yeah. Yeah. Or, oh yeah. Uh, I'm gonna say not to keep talking about the one show that Kimmy and I did together, but. <laughs> Hexbreakers is a great a example <laughs> of. We don't. We, don't, we, don't, we I played. I played Starscape with you too. So, yeah. And Nekuma. Um, you're you're great. Anyway, Hexbreakers is a great example of what can happen when you fail. Like I think. I think treating failure. Wow, as did we fail? The, char the, <laughs> the characters fail. That doesn't mean the players fail the story. Yes. Right. Like a failure is still yes ending the story. And mm -hmm. I think once players learn that, I know we're way off the topic of the question now, but whatever. Oh no, yeah. Once no, the players it's... learn that, I think it changes role play because yeah. a great, Hexbreaker is a great example because in our second episode, Kimmy and I failed over and over and over again. Every role. And every role. The dice hated us. <laughs> it was going to be like maybe an hour long game because it was just the two of us and Adam and, mm -hmm. um, um, Joey wasn't playing yet, so it was, Jay. Yeah, Jay wasn't here yet. Uh, Jay, they were both missing, and we were playing online, mm -hmm. and we or we I can't remember anyway. Yeah, there was like a COVID exposure, so we had to do yeah. like a, yeah, yeah. Well, someone was traveling anyway. Anyway, the more important thing is we failed every role, yeah, and it was <laughs> for like an hour, yeah. And but because of that, a whole second act of that session happened yeah. because 
we but basically like if if we had failed we had succeeded our roles it, I, we had to we were going to go talk to the Sasquatch there's a lot of Sasquatches in my role playing games it turns yeah. out <laughs> we had to go talk to a groundskeeper to get permission to go steal a tear from a unicorn and I remember that if, I remember if that episode. we had passed our roles we would have gotten a tear from a unicorn that would be the end of the story yeah. because we failed so badly we actually like made the Sasquatches turn all the and yeah. he alerts as high up as possible. <laughs> and we had to go to a separate location to find yeah. information. Because that location, we were attacked by a hexbreaker. Kimmy's character hacked reality. Yeah. Our characters became a love interest for each other. We, we had been enemies at the start of that episode. Yeah. And then we became girlfriends by the end of the season because of that one episode. Yeah. And, and it's a great example yeah. of how one mistake, another mistake, another mistake, but the story still gets yes and The story is yeah. still being built and we're all telling the story together. Yeah. Even if the character fails the role. Yeah, you know, and I feel I feel like what we've like distilled, which I don't know, might have been like too simplified, but I feel like maybe fucking system doesn't matter. Like I feel like it's like the GM. I think it does matter, but I think it's a there's not one answer to that question. Right. Well, I feel mm -hmm. like it matters in as like what is the GM like comfortable running yeah. in a way that is friendly for new people, because um, I. Like, depending on what you, like, if you know D&D &D super well or you're comfortable doing D&D, &D, yeah. you're going to get have, like, a more pleasant experience and you're going to give a more pleasant experience to a new player than if you are unsure or if it's something you don't really like but you're doing it because you think it's better for new players or things like that. I feel like, like, that might be the big key. Yeah. <laughs> like, do what you like doing so that you give a fun experience to someone new because if you're, you know, I, th I think... Showing people what you love is always going to be the key. Yeah. And I think most of us got into the hobby through curiosity and through like 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 having fun experiences or hearing about fun experiences and like wanting to be part of that. So Yeah, I agree with that. The, the one little tiny thing I've been throwing, because there was the second part of the question. Yes. We've been a lot on this. <laughs> yes. Right. Which is great. Because yeah. thank you for this email, obviously. It's <laughs> generated tons of thought. Um was the um Players of newer players freezing up from a decision paralysis when it comes to turn or ultimately looking at their character sheet, seeing a skill or ability to have that result in a great role-playing moment. Yeah. It, it, it wasn't a new player, mm -hmm. but I remember we were at a con doing a one-shot. Tyler was running it uh, in the game for some reason before maybe we, like, really cared about, let's get more people playing Happy Jacks games. It was like Bruce Casey and I were all in the same game uh, with Tyler running it. So I don't know. Maybe there were some other non-Happy Jacks people there. Who knows? But we came and... We had these, it was, I want to say it was like kind of like mid-level characters. Um, we're all looking at our sheets and there's this what system? demon. I got it. Might have been D&D, &D, but I don't remember. It kind of doesn't matter, which is the beautiful okay, okay, part, okay. right? For the for the story, it uh -huh. kind of doesn't matter. But we're all looking at our character sheets. There's tons of information. I'm like, oh, I'm going to do the spells. And we have to go into this abandoned mansion and there's this demon that we have to go and base it, maybe exercise or what are we going to do with this thing? Mm -hmm. Because it's going to come into the town after this guy, right? We're like, okay, go. And, and I think it was, I think it might have been Bruce who was like, looks at she's like, can we just like bring the like room down? <laughs> like, like nothing to do with Like he looked, he's like, like what's going to work? He's like, and so basically he's like, can we just like seal it? Like bring this kind of cave in and seal this thing in? And Tyler's like, yeah. <laughs> and so we did, which really had nothing to even do. It was on the sheet, yeah. right? But this was like after like tons of analysis. We're all experienced. He was like, what are we going to do? How are we going to do this? And Bruce is like, well, we just want to do this. And and I'm not kidding you. 
like Tyler did that. He was like, okay, well, yeah. <laughs> and like just crumples Crumble. up the, the sheet for like this whole encounter, like the boss of the thing is yeah. like, all right, yeah, great. So you guys can go back to the bar and get your thing. We're like, oh, awesome. So it's, like, it's like, so sometimes even if you go through, like it's, you're going to look at the sheet and it's sometimes going to inspire you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But but that, I honestly feel like Bruce got inspired by analysis paralysis. He was like, there's so much stuff on here. Yeah. There's so many things. What could I do? Is this going to work? Is that going to work? How powerful is it? What kind of demon is it? It's the role-playing version of right. Indiana Jones just pulling his gun out and shooting the yes. guy with the sword. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was like, or what if I just do this thing? Yeah. Right? yeah. Um, I mean, I think we've all sat around tables <laughs> with people, especially that are that are playing wizards that have like, Super long, or anybody has like a oh, skills, yeah, like skill monkeys, and you're just like, oh, oh my god, and you get to their turn, they're like, oh, <laughs> and trying to figure it out. Yeah. It's like, oh, okay, like <laughs> I, I, I've been that, and that's that's honestly one of the things that still is hard for me with D and D. I've played D and D five E a bunch, and I mean because of like my neurodiversity, I have trouble like retaining the minutia of rules. Yeah. Um, so like every time I play D and D five E, I have to kind of relearn how to do it. Mm -hmm. So it's like, okay, like I, you know, I, I know the basics obviously, but yeah. like, okay, this is exactly how these work. This is exactly how these powers work. And I'm just not someone who can, uh, like jump in on, oh, well, I think that this specific spell, oh man, I, I love how they've redone it since that edition. Like that's not something I am capable of retaining for any length of period mm -hmm. of time yeah. unless I'm actively doing it every day. Um so that that was something when I first started playing D D. Um that like there were no APs, so that was great. Yeah. <laughs> um and I, I know that especially um like I, I when I th our L five R campaigns, like our first one we played it and we jumped in the the second one was the beta, but then we jumped into the 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 third one like years later, playing like the descendants and all that stuff. And um, or even one of the th people, like even in that first campaign, it went on for quite some time, like thirty. Like we played it for a couple of years, mm -hmm. and like sometimes there'd be a couple months between us doing sessions because like oh, real yeah. life, and it was like a podcast thing. So it, like we were super chill back then. I wasn't in charge of the schedule, <laughs> um, but and you know, and people like would write in like, "Hey, why can't Kimmy? Kimmy? Like we've been playing this campaign for like a year. It's like yeah, but it's been like." three months since we played last time and I really like I have to have the rules written down and mm -hmm. I have to reference them so I can see why and, and I I feel for people who feel intimidated because I every time I play stuff like that I'm a little intimidated yeah I'm running one ring on Monday <laughs> what I always try to tell people in that situation is like yeah you're gonna have people who email or are jerks about it mm -hmm. but overall like I have said to people that I used to get so intimidated by the amount of rules that are in D&D &D, for example yeah. But I've yet to be at a D&D &D table where no one had to stop and say, here's the rules. Yeah. And I, I find I found that something that people love as much as they love playing D&D &D is fighting over D&D &D rules. <laughs> and I will say that also, like, a very popular streaming show that is maybe the most famous D&D &D thing on the planet anymore. I have literally seen episodes of their show where they stop and check a rule and the guy running mm -hmm. that show. So it's like, there, there, yeah, there, it's, there, there's a certain point where there's a freedom to the amount of rules being overwhelming because you can go, sometimes you screw it up, asterisks. This game has an asterisk on it, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Just yeah. move right. on and have fun with it. Um, my answer to your question about players learning uh, abilities they have that result in good role-playing moments is we had a session recently that I played and one of our players was, we were fighting a, a, um, a hag and a night hag and we were in this scene and... Her character 
was playing her character very well, she was playing her character very cowardly. So her character wasn't really fighting. She was trying oh, to yeah. bust the door open so we could get out. And it was a good role play because it was like, she actually is giving us an escape route, but in character, it was still her, because she didn't really know how to do all the spells she needed to do and stuff like that. So she wasn't like, she was like, I'll find a thing that I can do this whole time mm -hmm. so it's effective. And it was in character, it was great. And I was, I was playing kind of a tanky cleric, so I was kind of like taking all the damage or whatever and fighting. And then the creature went over to attack her and she looked at her sheet and for the first time she realized the rule in D&D &D of the offhand, you can make a bonus attack with it. So she attacked mm -hmm. with a sword and then she was like, oh wait, can I make a second attack with my dagger? Mm -hmm. And the DM was like, yeah, you just roll it without the modifier. And she rolled a natural 20 and killed the bad guy. Uh -huh. Like she literally, yeah. and it was like the greatest, and like, and it was such a fun thing because she'd been playing the character as so cowardly the whole time, mm -hmm. but still a good example of like it actually helped the story. It wasn't yeah. like a problem, mm -hmm. but the like, if you imagine the scene of this character like the whole time trying to break the door down, and then she comes and gets attacked, and then she just goes, takes her, her dagger and is like, ah, and then kills the bad guy. It is, like, such a fun moment. Yeah. And it was, like, such a, like, a celebratory thing. That's awesome. And I, I my, my, my version of it, very short, and we can move on, but I was playing in a session. It was one of my first times playing a clear. I, ne I never had banishment as a spell before, mm -hmm. and I was playing it, and our DM had spent, we were, we were doing an arena battle. It was, like, it was in uh, Theros, and our DM spent, like, an hour talking up the like monster that we were gonna fight in this Lord. arena and uh -huh. like uh, literally NPC after NPC came in telling us how <laughs> tough this monster was and how they've been killing everybody who's trying to fight it and stuff like that. And we get in and I'm looking through my spells and I'm like I'm like am I gonna do lightning to it? Like what am I gonna do with my spell? And then I look at banishment and I'm like wait a minute. <laughs> They just told me this creature was pulled from the underworld and not from this plane. And so and it's the only thing we're fighting. We're not fighting anybody else. And I just go, <laughs> can I just cash banishment? And he like stops and he, he makes a saving throw. And sure enough, the the very first round of combat, I just bamped away the only <laughs> monster that we were fighting. And I was just like, okay, so I'm just gonna stand here for a minute and hold his concentration so that it never comes back. God, that's the best. Oh man, <laughs> so funny. Mm -mm, mm -mm. I love it, and I I know that vibe as like a, a GM. You're like, uh, yes, yes, you can. I had, I had a player do it to me. Uh, I know we can move on, but uh, yeah. I was running early in the pandemic. I was running a campaign for newbies, and I was running Lost Mind of Fandelver. Mm -hmm. And there was like they were in this goblin castle, and <laughs> she had like looked in this like like oh, it was a room full of goblins. Or there's a door. And she's like, can I like stealthily open the door? And I was like, well, the door, the door opens into the room. So you're asking if you can open a door into a room full of goblins without them noticing that the door to their room is opening. And she was like, yeah, I just want to try and see if it works. And I was like, it was a new, it was a new campaign, new players. So I didn't want to say no. Yeah. So like you roll a stealth, you roll stealth for me, and I didn't make a roll at disadvantage, and I should have, but I rolled stealth, <laughs> and she rolled a natural twenty, uh -uh. and I'm like, yeah. Apparently, the second I was like, here's what happens: the second you open that door, somebody across the room drops a pan, and all the goblins look at that pan that <laughs> dropped, and they don't notice the giant stone door <laughs> opening as you peek in. See, it was like. It's so funny. That's amazing. Yeah. Those are great moments. Because, like, those can be the moments that 
hook someone on TTRPGs. Yeah, like, exactly. Like, and yeah. those are like those are the stories they tell. Those are the moments they remember. Yes. Mm-hmm. And as a and as a GM, like when you and we've all had this happen. You plan a thing like this. How it's going to go? And then like no plan survives meeting with yeah. players, right? Yeah. Absolutely. And they come up with something crazy, weird, brilliant, whatever it is. And and for me, it's always the split moment of like, damn it. Like, and then I'm also like, and I'm so proud. Like, yeah. I'm so proud. My players in our home game, in our Eberron game, I set up, there's a big story arc that Dave's character's going through. And mm-hmm. he's basically, within our campaign, playing an amnesia campaign. Because his character, like, woke up with no memory, mm-hmm. right? Okay. So we just got to this big moment where I'm like, okay, I'm going to do a big lore drop for Dave's character. And this all happens, and he's a Warforged, and he meets his other Warforged, and they recognize him, and his Gulra, which is the, like, he didn't have one, which is, like, means he had no name. And so it like it it appears on his forehead and then he's like, oh my, and he's, he has these dreams, like all this crazy shit happens. And we get to the point where there's a combat, it gets tense, stuff goes down that I did not anticipate, and I'm like, this could be a TPK. Like this could mm-hmm. literally result in a TPK because they're outnumbered. Yeah. Right? They Dave uses a spell that he's tried four times during the campaign and is never hit with mm-hmm. with like with, oh. with divine strike or something right? yeah oh, when the hits finally that's and the so he and so world. he and he's like okay i'm gonna use it because there's like a single combat between him and tyler's between tyler's character and the leader of these mm. this, like eight other warforged he casts the spell nat 20 nice yeah. he casts the spell and he misses and he had an inspiration uh, he was, I need inspiration yes. nat 20 i'm like okay does his damage like 35 damage Right, and it only and the the enemy they were fighting only had like eight hit points left. So it's like when Dave describes it, it's this big glorious thing that happens, and then he turns to the other warforged and basically is like all like this is over, stand down. I'm like okay, make a persuasion roll, nap twenty, <laughs> back to back. I was like all okay, right. so they do. They're following you. Something in your repressed memories allowed you to issue the specific command. That denotes that you are now taking command change. Mm. And because of who his character was, that he's, Dave, now Mm -hmm. plug your ears, that he doesn't know who he was exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It it makes sense. But I then realized, like, oh, my God, that was amazing. That was a fantastic moment. I'm, like, cheering. And I was like, shit. They've got eight Warforged now. The yeah. party have eight Warforged. What am I going to do with that? <laughs> I do think that's actually what you just said reminds me of a, one thing I'll say that's like benefit to crunchier games versus less crunchy. And then we can move then on. Then we have to, like, we're an hour in and we I haven't know. even gotten to the second I know, now. I'm so sorry. It's a, great, a, good no, it's a great conversation, yeah. though. Um, I love it. Old school, three-hour three hour show. Here we go. <laughs> I think Strap one of the in. good benefits of a, a crunchy game, if you actually do play the rules pretty pretty hard line, mm-hmm. is that when moments like that happen and you succeed on something when you've been failing it and like there's been no fudging it, it feels so satisfying yeah. when it happens. And, I, and last point is that I do think you remember failures sometimes more fun, fondly than you do Absolutely. successes. And that's why failures should be celebrated and enjoyed in games. Yeah. 100%. Three more thoughts and then we'll move on. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it, this is such a great topic. And you could talk about it like so much like and yeah. and I think it is important that we have conversation and that we because getting new people into the hobby is what we all need to be doing like yeah. build it all right do you want me to read this one or do you want to read this one Bill um I uh, do you want to be the listener about the one rings email I'm happy to read it if you would like to absorb you absorb you yeah. absorb hello happy jacks crew long time listener first time emailer oh thank you 
After listening to Season 31, Episode 4, I had to write in. I'm a long-time One Ring Loremaster, LM. I want to gush about the game and give Kimmy and the listeners some tips and encouragement to play the One Ring. I also hate the Rings of Power, despite having watched the whole thing in the same way that one can't look away from a multi-car wreck. <laughs> I love the One Ring. It is by far my favorite system, due partially to my being a mega Tolkien nerd. And I think it's a great system to introduce the wide world of RPGs to D&D-only players. I think it is very important that the LM actually know Tolkien quite well, because getting the most out of the system requires that someone understand the tone, moral philosophy, and style of Tolkien's stories. It's also great if the LM is familiar with the old epic poems and the style of storytelling in German, Nordic, and Celtic folklore. All right, I'm going to... Just had a lot of caffeine this weekend. Just take more notes. All right. The game almost. Your game is Nordic folklore. It's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, just for the mythology. Yeah. <laughs> the... I mean, I, I have I a kidding. lot of it, yeah. but like, yeah. no pressure. It's fine. The game almost demands that you police that tone amongst the players to avoid the setting becoming D&D with hobbits instead <laughs> of halflings. D&D doesn't have an absolute morality, and most players are more familiar with playing morally gray characters when that doesn't really fly in Tolkien's world. Good is good, evil is evil, and evil is never okay, even if it leads to a greater good. The shadow system really enforces that. Encountering evil beings and evil powers will leave you darkened, and every evil deed marks your soul no matter what your intentions were. Doing evil doesn't make you immediately an evil person, but the evil you commit is never acceptable, and you will suffer for it. Mm -hmm. Besides policing of tone and morality, I think the other big thing to focus on is the dynamic and prevalence of magic in Tolkien's world. Despite being a mythical world, magic is both common and very rare. Very few people, even elves, encounter obviously magical phenomena often. The magic of the world is very subtle. Dwarven iron and stone is grander and stronger than the stuff created by men, and elves are capable of feats that men are not. Legolas can see further, hear better, and shoot with deadly accuracy, but one of the only obvious supernatural things he does is walk on snow. The three wizards are the only ones capable of D&D-style magic, and they very, very, very rarely use their powers. Things like mental influence, visions, whisperings, light, darkness, and stuff that don't act as it should, i.e. cold fire, are all the fare of the fairy tale magic present in Tolkien's world. Doing so consistently makes the moments where you do introduce supernatural enemies like wraiths, dragons, and mannish sorcerers gifted by the power of Sauron even more impactful and wondrous. Finally, I'd say that most GM prep will tell you not to worry about the details of setting until the players interact with them. It's important to give items, people, and places a history that ties them to the greater world. Tolkien's world feels more real because it all makes sense. Even if there's no obvious reason, things that exist in Tolkien's world always have a reason to exist, even if Tolkien only wrote that reason down on a notepad. Magic swords have histories, big monsters come from somewhere, and villages don't just show up in the wilderness. This is made a lot easier if you know the lore. Giving everything a sensible history gives them a sense of place, which makes the world feel much more alive than any generic fantasy setting. <coughs> Forgotten Realms. <coughs> <laughs> Keeping all those things in mind, I think you'll have a great One Ring experience. Also, check out the One Ring Discord channel. I collect and publish a large collection of homebrew resources for the One Ring 2E on that channel, and you're always willing to help new players and LMs. Love you guys! Adam from California. Awesome. Yeah, it's it's interesting, because um, in a lot of ways, One Ring feels like it's much more focused on role-playing than D&D, even though in some ways it feels... Very, very crunchy. Like, combat, I haven't run it yet, but reading it and watching actual plays of it and stuff, it's like, 
it's very different and it might be more crunchy than D&D combat. So I'm very curious about how that kind of fits in. Um, but as far as character creation, I like how it's more focused on like the culture that you come from and things like that more like that kind of gives you a lot more of what you can do rather than like your skills that you learn as like whatever trade you choose, which is interesting. And it's an interesting take on it. Um, so I, I, I don't know. I'm very, very curious to see how that that ends up. I, I don't have a ton to say about this, which I know was rare for me. Mm-hmm. I'll probably say more than I think I will. Um, but I do think that this goes back to what we were saying previously about what the best entry system is for you is based on what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Because when Adam says that the reason that, they, that Adam thinks it's a great entry to the system, I don't think that I would have enjoyed role playing as much if I was playing this game for my first system mm-hmm. than if I played. Well, I mean, obviously I played World of Darkness, but like versus D and D. Yeah. Like. I wouldn't want to go from D&D to this game, which based on what I've just, just from what I've read here, feels more restrictive and more a very specific type of story. Mm-hmm. I think if you very much want a Tolkien style story, this sounds amazing. Yeah. I think if you're, I, I think maybe what I like about D&D is the morally gray aspect of it. I like the ability to kind of like be a little bit more, like just wild stuff happening in this world and things are happening in other mm-hmm. places. I, I agree about the Forgotten Realms. Like I know I don't love playing D and D games set in Forgotten Realms unless the GM who's running it is just really good at building their world building out. Because for me as a GM, like I don't like using it because it feels so nebulous to me that I can't visualize it. Whereas some of the other published settings, I feel like I can immediately picture them and I can tell stories set in them. And I usually move Forgotten Realms based campaigns into other settings for that reason because <laughs> like I can visualize them. That's just how my yeah. ADHD. I think. Forgotten Realms has been around for so long and has been the space for so many nebulous stories that it's like Tolkien at least feels like this is what Miller looks like. This is the exact history it's written down and stuff like yeah. that. So it's a little bit easier. Um, but yeah, I think that like this seems like this this email address listener loves Tolkien, loves Middle Earth, loves that whole world. Mm-hmm. And so is really eager and excited to play games set in that world. And I, I might have the same feeling about like a really good Star Wars RPG because mm-hmm. I can visualize and understand the Star Wars setting. Whereas like I I tend to like Game of Thrones more than than Tolkien because of the moral grayness of it. Mm-hmm. But even Game of Thrones, I don't know if I want to play a long campaign set in that world because the magic of that world's a little bit too muted for me. And part of why I want to play high fantasy games is I want to get magic. You know, yeah. I always want to cast spells and do magic stuff. Yeah. But I think I, I like the enthusiasm overall. Yeah, I think the thing that's interesting is um, that I had two thoughts reading through that. One is um, I'll be interested. Uh, one, I'm excited to hear you run something. I always am, yeah. Kimmy. Um, two, I'm going to be interested in that to see if if this if the and and, and the, this made me think about it. Reading this is the setting going to be? Does it get too imposing and too restrictive? on the players where they're like, you know, I know you can't do that or you you wouldn't do that or that like, mm, that's a morally gray thing, right? Where, you know, because uh, it's interesting, you know, if if everything you do, even if you do it for good, falls in the, the darkness, right? And it starts pulling you towards the shadow. It's like, where's, where's my redemption arc? Mm-hmm. If I can't, is there a mechanic to pull back the good side or is it like no once you've gone down there you're there so is my only redemption arc i 
die for like mm-hmm. a good reason, <laughs> yeah. right? Or like, or like, where does that you know where does that go? Um, no, you can fight a, a Balrog of Mordor, and then you can just fall through, and then you come, <laughs> you just come back as as a white wizard. Like, right, right. Like, you yeah. can't get gray, obviously, yeah. right? Yeah. Like then just like whoop whoop. Yeah. And, yeah. Okay. 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 Good. So fine. Handle yeah. the lore. <laughs> got it. Got it. Yeah. Um, I, I will say, even I was a little intimidated by the. Um, it's also great if you remember the old epic poems in the style of storytelling in German, <laughs> Nordic, and Celtic folklore. I'm like, oh, woo! All right. Like I could admit, like I would imagine. Because I, I get a feeling that Adam is these things, yeah. right? And not like, and not, and not in a braggy way. Just like, oh, hey, this is really yeah. helped me. Like, I feel like I might really love exploring with all that knowledge and background. Mm-hmm. Like some things I'm, I'm very familiar with. Some I'm a little familiar with. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the stuff about setting in here, talking about like how magic is handled, and then when you were talking about magic, it. It made me think like I when I was running the Eb- the Eberron game right now, I chose Eberron really specifically. Mm-hmm. So I was looking like, well, I want to run a D&D thing because people want to play D&D, which is awesome. I want to do that. And one of the things that really intrigued me about Eberron is that it is a magic is common. Magic's like yeah. everywhere. It's electricity, basically. Yeah. But yeah. high level magic is rare. Mm-hmm. Right, you just don't have people running around throwing like teleport and you know like like eighth and ninth level spells like no one gets there like it's yeah. super super rare. So it lets me explore and with the players build this world where it's like oh yeah there's just like magic stuff happening all the time. It's super easy, right? You can get it. Oh yeah, I come in cleansing stone, everybody's clean. You know, there's like they, the the uh, the guild hall that they stay in. Um, like the fireplace is just always going. Yeah. It's like because it's just it's permanently Why? going. Yeah. Why wouldn't it be? Like yeah. you want to yeah. have a nice fire going. Why would you do that, right? So like those things are there, but but big things, right, are still very aspirational. So even in a setting where magic is commonplace, to do something like really big is a huge deal, mm-hmm. right? Um, and and it, it is a very uh, it's a it's a great setting. It it is the kind of thing where I, immediately I read it and I was like, oh, I get it. I can see stuff. I know how things are gonna like. I know how it looks. I can describe that. People are gonna grok it immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that is a benefit for One Ring. I would imagine as well because if you've read all the books, you at least have your mindset about what it looks like. There have been gorgeous films that have been done. Whether you think Rings of Power is a great show or a shite show, it's gorgeous, mm-hmm. yeah. right? Like, there's been, like, there's, and, and and the paintings over the years that have been done about the settings, like, I can immediately visualize, like, what places look like. Yeah. And I think that's a huge benefit for the players yeah. and the GM to be able to say, you're here, you start describing it, you're like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I can totally see it. I can see all <laughs> of it in my head. Um, and I think that's great. Uh, I'll I'll be I'll be really interested to see um, about the characters only because I'm I'm if I can get my damn internet to work um, <laughs> I'm doing the intro and so yeah. I, I have a little insight as to the characters and stuff. I'm yeah. like, oh my god, this is going to be so cool. It's going to be interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I do find like the this the. the the system is designed to run a very specific type of game. And uh, it's more, it's not a story of like redemption so much because Tolkien doesn't really tell redemption stories mm. very often. It's more about hope and despair. Um, and even though he never would admit it, it was very much informed by his experiences in World War One and things like that. Mm-hmm. So He insists it's not, but it very much is. <laughs> I mean, you, you can't create art that doesn't draw from your experiences. So he may not have, like, planned that in mind, but it was definitely, like, 
part of the DNA is there because it was something very formative in his mm-hmm. life. Um, so like, like that's more the story. So as they're, they're battling with the shadow and stuff, as far as the mechanics, um, hope is the big thing that mm-hmm. you don't want to lose. Cause it's more about like those moments where like Frodo, like was like, I don't know if I can do this. And like, his, I can carry you. Yeah, exactly. Those are like the moments that yeah. it's very clearly mm-hmm. meant to distill. Um, the interesting thing about it. That brought me back. Right, <laughs> yeah. I was yeah. like, oh God. Oh. Everybody I watched all the Jackson films before <laughs> yeah. the show started. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I was like, I forgot mm-hmm. how good all these are. Yeah. 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 I I would say um, coming sorry, in, sorry the, 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 finish okay. your thought and then yeah. I'll say a thought okay so the so that's more like the 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 story that it's very clear to tell and unlike a lot of systems like it wants you to interact with the big important characters it's like you mm-hmm. are in the Shire mm-hmm. well not the Shire you're in Eriador which is part sure the Shire is part of that area and it's like the the party has to choose a patriot a patron not a patreon patreon it's saying that too much a patron who like is someone who they keep coming back to. Um, and like the book has a chart of a list of them and it's Galadriel and Gandalf and Bilbo. It's like, they want you to go talk to these people. Why which... would anyone not pick Galadriel if you had the option? Yeah, I didn't. I, I, <laughs> we, I made it my own. <laughs> okay. That, that's. <laughs> yeah. I mean. I guess. A person from, from the lore, not is, is the Tom, books. Is Tom Bombadil? No. Bombadil. He was on the chart too. Oh, and so was Bulberry. Oh. <laughs> Nice. But um, okay. no, but I picked someone not on the chart and like someone who's technically not even in any of the books, but we'll see. It's in the, they're in the notes. Um, so because I wanted that, that freedom, like I, I wanted, Philly, I wanted to. Phileas Footnote. Is it Eowyn? Who's not in the book. <laughs> no. <laughs> She's in the book. Yeah. She's a, yeah. But like, I, I, I didn't like being tied to the lore that tightly to the mm. really common known lore. So I wanted someone who is still canon and. Um, but someone that there's not so much written about that I could like make, like add some stuff to, or like, there's a very loose outline of this person. So I'm just like, there's big gaps. I'm going to fill this in with other things that can like drive the story in certain directions. Um, because that's something that really appeals to me. I love Tolkien. I don't want to reenact the Hobbit or the Fellowship of the Ring, which is kind of what the system seems like it wants you to do. Mm. Yeah. Um, so I want to play in that world, not in that story. So I'm hoping that by chasing, changing who the patron is, and we made up like our own town and stuff, we built it with Decima. Um, it's still very much in the flavor of Tolkien, and it technically, while well, it may not be in a map, nobody said it didn't exist. And, <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. So... I think that is something that's much more appealing to me personally as a GM because um, I don't have to worry about them burning down, you know, the mm-hmm. prancing pony and Bree and fucking over the rest of the world because. Yeah. But it, then Aragorn can't meet them there because it did burn down like 50 years before because of my players. And then like it just gives me a little bit of freedom with the canon, which I I'm hoping works out well. And I'm hoping I know I have the chops of the knowledge of the world to like really like. Make that work because you have to know something well to like play in the pool like that. I think mm-hmm. so. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I think is the barrier for entry into a game like this is like all all the comments that are being made here about like you must know 
all this Tolkien lore, and you must know about <laughs> Germanic, Nordic, and Celtic folklore. That feels like a lot of homework for someone who might not know. But, yeah. th but again, if you're excited about it, then you can be great with it. Yeah. I think if I was making a character for this system, mm -hmm. I would probably play a hobbit. Because yeah. I would probably want to pick someone who's like, oh, this is a very sheltered person yeah. who doesn't know a lot about this world and yeah. has been growing up like, uh, I have never left past this farm. Yeah. Like, that's the furthest I've gone from my house is this farm. I want to take a step further. It's the furthest I've ever been in my entire life so that anything that it, I don't that way I don't feel the pressure as a player yeah. to know anything about this world yeah. even if I know things that I've picked up through osmosis from movies and books and stuff like yeah. that I I have a really hard time retaining lore for worlds mm -hmm. and so I think I would have to just play a character who like everything new is like this is what is happening right now yeah. like they don't know about second breakfast what like that yeah. would be the character I would have to play to be able to engage with <laughs> a game like yeah. this and that's perfect because that's exactly what happened because Jay's playing and he's only ever seen the movies a little like he saw them and he's like yeah I watched them when they came out or recently I guess I don't know so that's like his entire like Tolkien and he playing he's playing a Hobbit and then I have Kai who speaks Sindarin and probably knows more than I do about this world. Mm -hmm. And he's just like, and he's playing an elf. And he's like, okay, so I was born like in like the, the turning of the second to third age and blah, blah, blah. So it's like, okay, I, I can. So it's interesting to like that, like they did, they just kind of naturally gravitated to kind of those roles, like what you said, based on kind of their knowledge. And Dave's like, I know some stuff. I'm going to be a dwarf. And so it's just very interesting how that, facilitated that really naturally mm. and really well. That's so, good. Yeah. I think that's the biggest challenge for GMs, right, is when you're going to, when you make the decision that you're going to run a, a game or a campaign or whatever it is, but in a known setting, especially a very well-known setting, mm -hmm. um, is like, okay, uh, how am I going to do this to where I don't, I don't screw up and the players don't screw up what is already canon, what has happened, because you kind of want it around some of those things they already know, yeah. or else it's not as much of an interesting draw. Um, that is times 100 when it's an AP, because now you've got people that are listening that, you know, oh my God. Uh, you know, God bless them, they just want to <laughs> help out, but they will tell you everything that's not correct. Um, you know, and I mean, that was, that was kind of, I had a little bit of that panic when I ran the Star Wars game mm -hmm. and I was like, I'm going to do run a Star Wars thing. I'm going to purposely set it in a time where there aren't movies. Yeah. There is some EC, but I can kind of play around with that. Right. And I'm going to have them meet one important person, but not someone that would travel with them. And it's kind of, mm -hmm. so I had, so Palpatine was who they met. Right. And they got some stuff for that. But then... Everything around it was like all, I'm going to make up some other characters around the periphery. I'm going to reference some characters. I referenced, I had one character I specifically brought in that I knew died around that time. So yeah. like all the worst case scenario was like, they were the ones that did it. Awesome. I just, you know, <laughs> see, like there was a lot of planning around how to do that. Because that concern is always to your point, like, oh no, they burned down the branching point. Oh God, what about did they rebuild it in that time? What happened? How do I get things back on track for people that like, and and me being one of them that care about the lore being there? Like, I'm yeah. like, yeah. I can't ever have them meet Vader. Like that was my thing. It was like that won't happen. Yeah. So I had a whole alt, but they still, but Dave, of course, because Dave always comes up with these like, I think yeah. he almost always be the character that just like pushes your game in a direction you'd expect it to go. Yeah. Um, and we ran I we ran it in my skin version of Traveler and he he made the crazy rolls through chance to become 
force a, a force user and then i was like well, what path do you choose and i'm thinking like oh he's gonna he'll probably go light. he'll be a jedi or something maybe it's like sith yeah so i'm like shit okay so the party's all his internet handle yeah. is ca sith, sith lord. lord i know it wasn't about like I was, which i should have looked at at, at kai's because his his internet handle is in it's like it's very very deep tolkien lore and i like i was like oh you're you're Tolkien. and then i was like making the name tag i was like Oh, fucking. Uh, but you know what? God you can play with that because yeah. elves are kind of arrogant. I'm I, not saying Kai can be arrogant, but if you have a character who's like, no, I know these things oh, about no. the world, that can be like an elf, like, uh, a dwarf would think that. He, that he totally thing. made that. Yeah. That's amazing. I'm so excited. Yeah. But, I, it's, okay. okay. I'm just going to, like, we've got to wrap up. Yeah. Okay, I love yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. But I am going to end this with uh, um, my own, um, actually, three wizards, Adam? Three? Really? <laughs> okay. Mailbag number three. Hello, Empress Kimmy and her laser-printed court. I like that laser-printed court. My normal group of players have all learned to play TTRPGs with me. They were a group of people that all had never played before and learned together. They had never had another GM until a year ago. Thank you, Kimmy, for doing that, by the way. So basically, I have realized that I unintentionally built a group that revolves around me because I was learning. I thought a good group leaned into, uh, leaned into my story. So I think I kind of trained them to do that. I didn't teach them to contribute. I taught them to spectate and roll dice. More like a choose-your-own-adventure than a TTRPG. Now, years later, I've learned that games are best when everyone contributes to the plot and narrative. The last couple of years, I've been trying to stress this to my players, but for the first five years, I made them ask me everything in a game. I did such a good job of picking all these emails. like. Amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. I totally, totally planned that. It wasn't half... <laughs> planned while I was trying to watch Teletubbies with my daughter. Okay, anyway. Um, and game. So clearly, some of them are having a hard time. I've been trying to invite new GMs to run one-shots for us so they can see other types of GMing styles. I've been trying to sprinkle in other games besides D&D when I can. I've been trying to ask them more questions about what is happening. While some of the players are taking to it like rock stars, others are still intensely passive. I feel like I've ruined them for a more narrative story-driven gameplay. In the end, I fear what I am. I have rarely run games for others out of my group that learned with me. And now I always feel like I'm doing, and although I always feel like I'm doing better as a GM, actually knowing if you are a good GM, in quotes, is so hard to know. My good friends that learn with me, they don't really know. The few times I have run for others outside my group, you can't expect honesty from them because they don't know me well. Anyway, sorry for the long email, that's not a long email, Burke, you know better. Uh, filled with fear of inadequacies, but I figured that others might have similar feels. Thanks for all you do, Virk. P.S. Drink. Drink. P.P.S. Anyone want to run a one shot for my group? Hit me up on Discord. Thank you. First of all, I will tell you if your email is long. I'm not quiet about it. I, know. <laughs> I I think that we talked about this a lot already in the first email, so I don't want to like rehash too much, but I, I don't think you've necessarily ruined your game for your players. I think that some players just like certain kind of games in some ways. And I think what you're saying is like, oh, I'm noticing these players are more passive. That might just be how they like to play. Like, yes, I can understand your concern of like, oh, I taught them this is the only one way to do it. But the fact that some players are enjoying this more narrative approach and others aren't might just be a, perf a preference of taste. Because like, at the end of the day, these are all people who have agency and the ability to figure out what they like for themselves. And as I mentioned earlier, when I first started playing role-playing games, I knew a lot of people who, when they played D&D, &D, all they wanted to do was move from room to room fighting monsters yeah. and collecting loot and not really caring about story at all. 
And so, you know, even saying now, like, oh, games are better when everybody contributes to the plot or narrative. I personally think that's better. I think that is a preference. Mm -hmm. I think that is still so. I I wouldn't I wouldn't beat yourself up too much. I don't think it's that wrong for someone who if the the plus side of this is for five years you provided a gaming table for people who didn't have anybody else to run a table for them, mm -hmm. and you shouldn't feel bad about that. And like yes, you also had to learn as a GM, and you've now learned things that you like doing better as a GM, and hopefully these players will come along for it. But they're not necessarily wrong for liking the games that they like, and you're not wrong for running the games that you like, as long as you're not like steamrolling and sandbagging your players to where they're not having fun. But I'm going to say that if people have been playing with you for five years, they're having fun, yeah. and you should be more happy with yourself than you think you're being in this email. Absolutely. And having used your playgroup as uh, beta testers for Starscape, thank you for that, by the way. Like they were fun. They had, they were, they. I had a great time. Starscape is a PBTA hack that, well, it has a little bit more like stuff and housekeeping than like masks. Then uh, they did a great job, and I had a great time. And they jumped all in and something. And I am a very so. What are you doing? Like, I had zero plot planned for that game, mm -hmm. and they just jumped in, and most it was all pulled from what they contributed, and it was a super fun game. And yeah. some of them were more quiet, and some of them weren't, and that's true of every single table, even Happy Jack's games. Like, like, like there are people who are more laid back and wait for their moment, and people who are jumping and pushing things forward, and people change and do a mix of those things, depending on the characters and a whole bunch of other things. Yeah. Yeah, and it uh, really resonated with me the like long email, which it wasn't, uh, but filled with fear of inadequacies. Welcome to being a GM. Like every GM I know, no matter how good they are and how long they've done it, have at least their moments of I don't was that good? Did people like that? Did I play? Oh God, I could have done that better, right? Every I, time, like every time. I think that's. I think that. That in, that imposter syndrome like lives to different degrees. I will guarantee you, because I know, like even uh, the uh, dungeon master of the most popular uh, <laughs> uh, um, um, uh, AP that exists. Uh, He's been in on the, the show. World. We can say Matt Mercer's okay, name. Okay, yeah. So Matt, <laughs> Matt, Matt does. Matt has that. Like I've talked with Matt, where he's like, "Oh yeah, that like mm, that." I yeah. I think that went really well, but like you know, and <clears throat> he's got all the support in the world like from his players from people that watch yeah. it from his team like but you always are like is there a way i could have done that did that oh god why didn't I do this this would have been for that would have been a five percent better beat right that happens yeah you've had to riley's point players for five years at your table mm -hmm. they're still there yeah. You're doing a great job. I'll go this far. I'm not supposed to be reading the chat while we're on the stream, but it's right there. This having is the show you're allowed to. Uh, <laughs> Burke, when, when this got read, like five people in this chat, if you're not in the chat right now, if you're listening to this on the podcast, like I think like five people just went, this is a Burke email? Burke's a great, literally, Burke is an awesome GM. I played in the power, a PvP mass game of his, so good, and one of my top gaming memories. Somebody else said, so did I. I had a blast in that game. Somebody else said, yeah. And then Kimmy said, yep, he is good. So people love your GM. And I refuse to have you talk about my friend Virk, who I don't know, but I refuse to let you talk about him in such negative right light. Yeah, you, you're awesome. But Having I, said that, it, it is good to go, okay, what are my shortcomings as a GM? How can I improve them? But I wouldn't beat yourself up as much as you have been. Right. Well, and, I, and like, the imposter syndrome is real. Mm -hmm. And it's terrifying. And it messes us up all the time. Like, there are... 
there are times where I'm just like in my office going, all this is a waste of time. Nobody likes anything I do. Nobody likes Happy Jacks. Nobody wants to do this. Like, this is awful. Nobody like, well, it's a huge, like, like, like we all have those moments and like, you just can't like let that win. Yeah. And it's like, okay, well, I still enjoy it. So even if nobody ever listens to what the, the podcast, which hopefully if you're hearing this, you are. So that's a weird, like, whole circle thing. But anyway, so, but, but you know, it's like you have to do it because you are enjoying it. Yeah. And that's been the weirdest thing with doing APs and with, like, doing, making gaming, like, a podcast and things like that is, like, and that's one of the things I really fight for with our channel and our games and stuff like that. It's like we're playing for us. We're playing to enjoy it ourselves. We're not making choices to entertain an audience or because we think it's the best thing. Like, play and have fun ourselves. And, like, putting that out into the universe is a good thing. Mistakes and all, like, weird kind of... Maybe it's a boring character choice, but that's the one I want to make. So, cool. That's that's what we need to see in the hobby is, yeah. like, the human, like, actual real... The actual part of the actual play. Mm-hmm. Like, where it's, like you know, valid and real and real life and friends sticking around at a table and having a good time and maybe drinking too much sometimes. Yeah. Um, I will I will say, because this is the show I can read the chat. Yeah. Um, Rose made a really great point saying, you've got too much time to get into your own head. That's the problem with GMing. Yeah. 100%. And it's 100% true because I even look at, we we in October twenty first we passed the one year mark for our Everon game. Mm. I was like, oh my god, we've been playing for a year. This is crazy. We we're just like, oh hey, let's get together and, and play, right? And uh, we just finished session thirty nine. But I we do a virtual tabletop, and I went and looked, and I'm like, okay, Tyler's got like seventy eight hours on the virtual tabletop, and then it's like Dave and Elspeth are almost tied with like eighty three or whatever, and Kurt's got like eighty seven or something, and I have two hundred and ninety three hours on the you're building maps. Because I'm building yeah. maps and I'm like writing lore and I'm making items, and it's like, right, you know, and I don't feel like I'm, I'm, I'm having to do more prep and work because I'm building maps as opposed to here you go and putting it down on an actual table when I want to use a map, right? Because um, I have to created all digitally and I have a learning curve for the VTT thing, but I realized, right, I have, and as a GM, very typically, you at least start by having no one to talk to it about because all the people that you love to like role play with are all your players. And you're like, I can't, I can't talk with them about my cool idea. I can't like be excited about my reveal or anything. Because yeah. I can't tell you, and you have to try to find other GMs in the community, which is one of the things I've always loved about this show, being for GMs. It's like, oh, we can all sit around, and, you know, I bore everybody before the show. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, here's this thing that happened in my canon, because I had no other opportunity. Yeah, we're right? super bored by that. I, that's, I, well, that's why we're all like, really? Oh, that, we had nothing okay. to say. That's what Kimmy's like, oh, yeah, keep talking while I'm testing the microphone. It's perfect. Go ahead. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that too. But yeah, that too. it's, it's but, multitasking. Yeah. yeah. But I think that's a thing, right? It's, it's So I, if I had one thing that's going to that's gonna help you, I think, Burke, is like find some other GMs you can get into like a private Discord chat with, and, and talk about your campaign from like a GM to GM level. Like, here's the thing I'm doing. Why should you do that? I I found my my GM on my Wednesday game, Ron. I was like, would you be okay if I bent your ear about some stuff I'm planning for my home game? Mm-hmm. Because the two people I would normally talk to them about are both playing in my game. Yeah. yeah. And he was like, yeah, sure, it's great. And I found it was 
it's 90% me just blah, 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 And then he's like, oh, that sounds really cool. Hey, would you think about this? And he's just like prompting. I'm like, oh my God. And, I, and oh, like all this pressure was off because I, I had someone to talk to about it, right? So just like you're, and I think it's amazing. You're like, hey, if you want to run one shots, I want them to see other GMs. I want to see other GMs. Yeah. That's first It's not all, you, it's me. I just think we should see other GMs. Yeah. <laughs> but that's super mature. Yeah. Oh my God, that's crazy, right? Like, like crazy great. Yeah. To be like, hey, yeah, I want my players to see other gyms to see what other styles are like. I want to learn from that. Yeah. Um, it is incredible. So you just go sit yourself down and say, you know what? I'm good enough. I'm strong enough. And, uh, you know, I can... gosh darn it. I wrote a natural 20. <laughs> there yes, you go. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I Somebody asked in the chat and we can, I know we have to wrap it up. It's but okay. is, it, is it less fun to be a GM than it is to be a player? I definitely think there's a more responsibility on your shoulders as a GM. Mm. But I think if you love GMing, it can actually be as fun, if not more fun than being a player at times. If, if you have a passion for it. Like you were talking about the hours logged mm -hmm. in table, virtual tabletop. But also, that means you got to spend 200 hours in your world. Your yep. players got to play for like, what, two hours a week? You got That's to play right. for like 30 hours a week? How much yep. more fun is I that? Know, yeah. You get to have so much more fun. No, but I think that like, <laughs> there is something to be said about a GM, being a GM and when like, I, I'm a pantser GM. I'm not a super planner GM. And mm -hmm. so I I what I do is I create the world and I create what would have happened if the players didn't show up and that's where I stopped my planning and then the blood the player and so it can be so so fun to have a player suddenly do a thing and you're like well like you mentioned earlier, mm -hmm. that, that, that plan is gone. <laughs> what are we doing? There's also times where I'll be driving and suddenly the thing that I can do that will completely screw over one of my players' characters pops in my head and I go, oh, this is going to be very fun and I can't wait to see their face when it happens because we're all going to enjoy it together. And there is something very fun about that. So yeah. it's like, there's a lot of joy to GMing. It feels very stressful at times, but I think that if you love doing it, it's one of the most fun things in the world to do with gaming. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a different type of fun but it is very, very fun. And it was terrifying and it's still terrifying in some ways. Um, and you never quite get over the, am I doing this right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I feel like that's the case with a lot of things that are very worthwhile and amazing. I think running games for APs helps because if, if you listen to them again later, because like I, we, our most recent Doctor Who episode, that was our, our Doctor Who Day special. Mm -hmm. When we recorded it back in August, I thought it was a complete mess. And I was literally like, the whole audience is going to stop watching, listening to the show because the episode's going to be so bad. I was dreading it. And then when I finally heard it in like early November, I was like, this is a really fun episode. Like my, <laughs> and like, because my players were so goofy and had yeah. so much fun with it. I'm like, I, this was great. Yeah. 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 I think with, as a, as a player, the fun comes from like, Ooh, look at the thing I did. That's great. Mom, dad, look what I did. Woo, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I, I did I had a plan and it came off, or I did the fun, wacky thing, or like we had this serious moment or whatever. It's like it's very much. And as a GM, I'm always like, oh, look what the kids did. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. Good. Right. You're like the proud parent. And you and it is a lot of like uh like this, this the Eberron campaign is the most I have ever planned in mm -hmm. a lot of times. But I but I'm not planning out like like you go hit plot points. A lot of it is like, oh, I want them to get to this place. Okay, I need to build that place and make that and get these relationships. I also have gone completely insane in the number of NPCs that are in this world uh, to my own demise many times. But I'm like, right, this is the seventh voice I need to do tonight. Um, boy, do I remember? <laughs> I have to look at my 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 role play note on the yeah. character and my one note, and I'm like, oh, right, Irish accent. Right, okay, okay, good, 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 good. <laughs> All right. Um, but but on but on uh, by contrast in in the Traveler and Yuma Station. 
like that very much is like plot points like here's going to happen wherever you guys take it right to the point where there was no bbeg in that campaign until i think episode 12 or 13 and it completely came out of something that our guest star did that noah did and it was like what i had i had no idea he was gonna do that oh yeah you talked about and it that. was yeah. crazy and then i was like and that's where we're gonna end this week <laughs> and we, we played every other week i'm like i have two weeks to figure out how the hell that makes sense and where it goes yep and I remember that being a two-week scramble of listening to every episode, looking at all of my notes, and then realizing, oh, this is actually how it all comes together, and it that's weird. It makes sense, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so then you, you fill it in, and the thing that I love about when you're not planning, when you're more seat of your pants and you're you're taking your cues from your players, which is where to me the the proud parent thing comes from. Yeah, like, absolutely. Like, oh, that was so smart. That was so cool. What a crazy idea. Yeah. Is that you then when you find ways to tie that up or pay that off in the in the aspect of a campaign, the players are so invested. They're like, I knew that was the thing, or they're like, Oh, when we met that person, because because you kind of half backfilled mm-hmm. off of what they did so everything they did had its level of importance right and that for me is the joy of GMing that I don't get as a player yeah is being able to not pull the strings but figure out how to tie them together yeah I I, I love like the description like for, I don't know who but somebody at some point was really smart and they were like yeah GMing is not about pulling strings it's about weaving threads together and I was just like oh oh that's yeah. so awesome and like, that's like a bumper sticker that I'd have in my car and like five people who would probably become my friends because I had it on my car. <laughs> would like, oh, I want to be your friend, you know. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think that's amazing. So, yeah. And you're, you're awesome, Berg. Yeah. And thank you for being a mod in Discord because it's very helpful. All right. I shouldn't put that away because I, it has the last part of my notes on it. <laughs> thank you for joining us <laughs> for Season 31, Episode 6. six. Uh, please visit monkeyspawgames.com to support our amazing indie designer of the month, Nora Rose. Is it? Is that Nura. 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 Rose. You had, you had it written out earlier. Yeah. And then, but you didn't have it phonetically on this side of the paper. And that's I'm why sorry. I was yeah. trying to help you out and I made it worse. <laughs> it's okay. You did great. Do you want to take over now that you have paper again? I will. Thank you to our chat mod, James V, and to our amazing Patreons who keep us ad-free and independent. If you want to join their incredible ranks, you can go to happyjacks.org slash Patreon. I'm filming a little video of like some of the the studio upgrades we've been able to do because of them. So I'll be posting that soon. I have to figure out how to do that. Um, And then, yeah, my name is Kimmy. I'm Riley. And I'm Bill. And this week we're going to leave you with a song called Bog Down in the Valley-O by a band called The Merry Wives of Windsor. And you can find their stuff at mwow.net. And... They're on my my Spotify festival list. Oh, nice. Yes. I sing the egg verse. That's me. So have fun. All right. See you all next week. Bye.